Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. Well, we come to the end of another year, and I think about how endings can be hard for different reasons. I've always felt the end of the holidays leave me with a little bit of like melancholy or, or feeling a little blue. You heard the term post-vacation blues? You ever been there? Students, maybe you had the post-camp blues. Man, I always had that at the end of youth camp. And kids, maybe the end of summer blues caught you at one point or another. I think most of us know personally that feeling of loss and the, the gut-level emptiness that comes when someone we know and love comes to the end of their life. I think I've found it's rare that we sit down to really process those feelings because I guess we're so caught up in, in loss, it's hard for us to see anything but the loss in that moment. I read an article at the end of 2022 that mulled around why do we struggle so much with endings? And it suggested a few things like maybe we just don't want to lose something. We, we don't like losing something or someone. Sometimes we fear that whatever we've lost, that it can never be replaced other times, we glorify an ending in such a way that it becomes this all-consuming focus for us, and we just kind of get lost in it. Other times, we fear that the ending of, th- of a thing might be marked as failure in our life in some way. Like, did we really do the thing that we, we really should have, or did we treat the person that we really should have? Did we take advantage of what we had while we had it? Did we do what we were supposed to do with the time that we had? Sometimes, I think, it's simply that we're afraid the end is only the end. Like, what if there are no other opportunities beyond this? Or it all dies here with this ending. That's a very, very real fear that makes so many of our endings so completely terrifying. I wonder if some of these things, these feelings, were rolling around inside the disciples at the end of Jesus' time on earth with them. I mean, we know this. We know when Jesus was crucified, they were confused. They were scared. And they were so very sad. I remember Peter broke down after denying Jesus. And then what did he do? He ran and he joined the others. And what were they doing? They were all in hiding. They'd lost Jesus. And maybe they're wondering, had the plan failed? Had they missed something? Had they misunderstood? And it seems that they doubted everything that they'd come to believe about Jesus and everything they'd come to believe about themselves and about God's plan. And then Jesus came into the upper room. He said he'd do it. And yet they were shocked. And still, some of them, they just completely struggled to believe. You read the end of Luke's gospel, and it describes this encounter. Jesus said, why are you troubled? And why did doubts arise in your hearts? And he went on to remind them of his promises to them. It says he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He gave them many proofs. And then, maybe just as they began to feel like everything was actually going to be okay, It says, and he led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands, he blessed them, and while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Another ending. Maybe they felt like they lost him again. Maybe they immediately felt that sinking feeling in their gut, and they mourned that they wouldn't walk down another road or sit by another campfire hearing his voice enjoying a meal with him, or seeing him work. 
uh, the author of one of my favorite books, Tuesdays with Maury. Mitch Album wrote this, every ending is a beginning. We just don't know it at the time. And so it was for the first followers of Jesus in this moment in the gospel story. We're going to look at the book of Acts, and I think this is a beautiful way to view the opening of the book of Acts. Now, I need you to understand both Luke and Acts are written by the same guy. They're written by Luke, and they're written to a man named Theophilus, which is just Theophilus name I've ever heard. I'll wait while you laugh. See, there are theories that Theophilus was, he was a person of power or wealth, uh, that he was a Gentile, and he was either highly curious about Jesus, or in fact, he was already a follower of Jesus and maybe a supporter of the apostles' ministry. Luke 1 states Luke's purpose in writing to Theophilus. He says, I'm writing so that you may have certainty concerning the things which you have been taught. Together, Luke Acts serves to give a historical account of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and the spread of Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. If it's true that every ending is a beginning and we just don't know it at the time, that's probably a good guess as to the state of the first disciples at the end of Luke's gospel. The poet T.S. Eliot said, the end is in the beginning. The end is in the beginning. I think about how good stories have within their beginning an idea both of where you're going and also have some idea of where we'll end up. And Luke must have agreed as he wrote his gospel story and his story of the beginnings of the church because he opens the book of Acts with an ending that is a beginning, and that beginning has within it a hint of how the book of Acts, the Acts story, will end, which in itself is again a beginning. Or maybe better put, perhaps it's the final beginning of which there is no end. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1 of Acts. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now, the key word for understanding the relevance of the book of Acts is right there in verse 1. It's the word began. Luke says, in the first book, in the, the gospel that I wrote, I dealt with all of the things that Jesus began to do and to teach until his ascension into heaven and after his resurrection. The gospel of Luke ends with the ascension of Jesus into heaven. And Luke says that the story that he told, ending with the ascension of Jesus into heaven, was really just the beginning of the teaching ministry of Jesus. It was really just the beginning of the deeds of Jesus. And maybe you have a Bible that you're looking at right now, and on the first page of Acts, it has up top the title, The Acts of the Apostles. And that's a, a traditional title that, that's often used. 
I think it would be more accurate, though, to say this book is a new beginning, or it's the continuation of the words and the works of Jesus by the acts of the Holy Spirit through the earliest Christians. Doesn't that sound like a better title for what we're getting into here? Because what Luke says here, right off the top, is what Jesus did on earth in his tough and compassionate and loving and healing deeds, and what he said on earth in his truthful and authoritative and convicting and, and his comforting teaching was only the beginning of his ministry. It's just what he began to do. The time for him to wear humanity was at an end, but the clear implication here is that now, now Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and he is not finished working. He's not done with his work and with his teaching. He's not dead and he's not absent. He's alive and he's present and he's doing and he is teaching even in this day. Now, hear me, this doesn't mean that the saving work of Jesus on the cross and his, his resurrection was left in some way unfinished or left uh, incomplete. In fact, if we turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, it says this, Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Verse 18 says, now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. In other words, when Jesus called out, it is finished, it was finished. The debt was paid. The sins were covered. The wrath was removed and Satan was mortally wounded. The point of the book of Acts, though, and why we exist today as a church and what this age is all about is the fact that the risen, ascended, exalted, and enthroned Jesus is actively today bringing words and works of healing, of restoration and redemption and salvation into the world today. He said in Matthew 16 to Peter, remember this? He said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And this is Luke's point. Jesus began his doing and teaching until he was taken up to heaven. And now he goes on completing his doing and teaching. He goes on building his church, just like he said he would. Pastor John Piper said this, What we need is a spirit-authenticated commission on our lives from the living Christ. We need a, a, we need a deep-seated, mind-persuading, heart-gripping verification that Jesus is alive and triumphant over all his enemies, and that his cause is unstoppable. We need to understand the kingdom of God and how it came and how it's now coming and how it will come. Church, my prayer is that we, as we end 2022 and begin 2023 with all that might mean for each of you individually, that you and I, that our entire church would have a very real sense of this, that we would in the realest and truest of ways together experience Jesus himself alive and at work by the Holy Spirit's presence with us, speaking, acting, and giving us just what we need to be made fully alive in him and to be used by him to extend his healing power and his grace into the world.
Let's pray. God, we come this first day of a new year. As we come through an ending, may it be a beginning that we would not believe even if we were told. I pray this would be a year of revival for Legacy Church. You would revive our hearts and our minds. You'd make us alive in the gospel. Spirit, you would inhabit the praises of your people, the works of your people. You would expand our minds and hearts to appreciate and love the word of God and the will of God and the way of God, that we would walk in his ways this year. We pray that you would do works in this community and around the world that we would never imagine. We pray that people would come to know you in a saving way, to grow in faith and in community with this church. We pray that you'd be glorified in all these things in Jesus' name.